2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the hall of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, and that hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on your behalf for the blessing granted, through, granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is useful for pointing us to faith in Jesus and growing us in him. Please help us understand it and please work through it to change us and grow us to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. How do you respond to God when you are suffering? Jess and I, we watched some, uh, some Seinfeld on our holidays. Now, uh, there's a lot of dodgy stuff in Seinfeld, but, uh, but this particular episode struck me as quite insightful. Jerry and George, they're about to become very successful. And they're over the moon with the excitement when George notices a, a slight discoloration on his lip. He goes straight to the worst case scenario. This is life threatening. He's going to die. Everything is terrible. George says to his therapist, I knew it. God would never let me be successful. He'd kill me first. He'd never let me be happy. The therapist says, I thought you didn't believe in God. George says, well, I do for the bad things. <laughs> How does George react when he's suffering? He blames God. When the wheels fall off, God is a convenient scapegoat. Now, now I actually think there's something really insightful about this. Maybe you know someone like this. Someone who doesn't believe in God, but they're very, very angry with him. 
It's someone who wants nothing to do with God, but they're frustrated with him when bad things happen to them. I know some folk like that. Now, if you're someone who trusts in Jesus and someone who wants to live for him, then I suspect you'd probably never say anything like what George said. But I wonder if functionally we end up living as if it's true. When everything's going well, we get complacent. We stop thinking about God and stop living for him. Our prayer life gets slack. We, we might even start taking pride in how well things are going. But then when things go wrong, we either rush to God for help and expect him to jump in and fix it all for us, or we get frustrated with God. We wonder, why is this happening to me? Maybe we groan, of course this would happen. This is typical. Of course God would do this to me. Like George, I think functionally we can forget God's goodness and we can only go to him for the bad stuff. But here in 2 Corinthians, we see another way of reacting to God in our suffering. Paul wants us to see that instead of blaming God or being frustrated with God, we can depend on God in our suffering. We can depend on our good God to comfort us in our suffering and to use us to comfort others. We're going to see here in this passage that in our suffering, Paul invites us to see God's goodness, to experience God's comfort and to learn to depend on God. And we can, and all this can give us a sure, unshakable hope in the face of suffering because we can depend on our good and gracious God. Let's dive in. First, Paul wants us to see God's goodness. It even starts there in Paul's greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Now, let's just set the scene for a moment. This term, we're going to be working our way through this book of 2 Corinthians. It's a letter that Paul is writing to the church of believers in Corinth, along with all the saints, that's all the believers, in the nearby region of Achaia. And Corinth, it was one of the wealthiest, most powerful cities in the ancient world. It was right on this very narrow bit of land, only six kilometres wide, that separated, that connected the huge Peloponnese, Pel, I knew I'd stumble over this, the Peloponnese Peninsula to the rest of Greece. And so it was at a crossroads. Sea trade would go through Corinth rather than sail around the dangerous seas to the south. And land trade from Athens would go through Corinth as well. And so they were incredibly wealthy. And it meant that the city was huge. It was estimated the population was up to a million in the time of Paul. It meant that the city was prestigious. They were well known for these huge ancient games, a little bit like the Olympics that they'd hold every two years. They had these great temples in Corinth and up the hill nearby. It meant that the city was multicultural. Corinth was this melting pot of Roman and Greek and Jewish cultures, along with every other culture that came through the port. In 50 AD, Paul came to Corinth from Athens and he started preaching the gospel. You can read about it in Acts 18. 
Many people believed, including the head of the local synagogue. And they started gathering together as a church. And Paul was there for a year and a half before he had to leave because of trouble with the Jews. But Paul's relationship by the time of 2 Corinthians was very strained. I know it's confusing, but 2 Corinthians is actually probably Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthian church. When something like this. After he left, he heard about trouble in the church, sexual immorality and divisions. And so he wrote them his first letter. They were confused and wrote him a reply, and we have that, and so he wrote them another letter to explain. We have that letter as 1 Corinthians. They kept doing the wrong things, so he wrote them another letter, a severe letter, he calls it, a letter where he rebuked them for what they were doing. And after that, he planned to visit them, but his plans changed. And so he wrote them another letter to explain what had happened and to call them to continue in gospel faithfulness and partnership with him. That's the letter of 2 Corinthians, his fourth letter to the Corinthian church. And to be honest, when you read 2 Corinthians, Paul is not sure how this is going to go. Their relationship is strained. From their point of view, Paul hasn't kept his word. He seems to have let them down. And what more, remember they live in this prestigious, successful city. A city that prides itself on power and success. But Paul, he was an apostle who suffered. He didn't seem impressive. Quite honestly, he seemed weak. There were these other preachers who turned up in Corinth who seemed very impressive, who preached a much more palatable message. Shouldn't they follow them instead? And so Paul writes to Corinthians to remind them of the gospel and to plead with them to be faithful to the gospel and to partnership with him. Rather than be ashamed of weakness and suffering, Paul wants them to see how in the gospel they can be finding joy in weakness and finding strength in God. That's what we're going to see over the next 11 weeks as we work through this great book of 2 Corinthians together. So it makes sense that Paul starts this book with depending on our good God in suffering. And it makes sense that he wants us to see uh, right at the beginning God's goodness. It's there even in that greeting that we read. Paul, he's an apostle by God's will. See, through Paul, God is generously and faithfully providing for his church. He's providing leaders. And Paul was a leader who was miraculously provided. Remember, he was the one who persecuted the church, who hated and killed Christians until he met the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road. Paul starts writing the first words by reminding them that God is providing for his church through him. So they'd better listen up. And it actually really is God's church. You see that there? They are the church of God. They belong to him. He's the one who's called them together in the gospel. And he's the one who will provide for them. Because he's a good and gracious God. And he gives them good. See what Paul says in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, Paul often starts his letters with grace and peace, and it would be easy for us to gloss over this, but Paul's actually choosing his words carefully. You see, ancient Greeks, they would start their letters with wishing someone grace. But Paul is using the word to speak of God's great grace, his undeserved kindness to his people through Jesus. The ancient Jews, they would start their letters by wishing each other peace, literally shalom. That's the kind of peace that comes from right relationship with God that flows out in loving relationships with each other. But Paul is using that word to remind them that we have this peace in Jesus. Through Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself and to each other through Jesus' death and resurrection. And what's really striking, and don't miss this, is that Paul puts these two together. God our Father is the God of both Greeks or Gentiles and Jews. He has brought us together in grace and peace through the Lord Jesus. This God is no miser. He's not angry or capricious. He's not out to get us. He's our loving Father who willingly gave uh, his own son to give us grace and peace. He wants good for his people. Even in suffering. See what Paul says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Paul begins the bulk of his letter by praising God. He blesses him as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. See what our God is like? He's merciful and gracious. Mercy flows from him. He's the source of it. It's his character deep down. He's a God who delights to show mercy. Paul's not just making this up. Our God has always been this way. From Exodus 34, where he passed before Moses and declared that he is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. In the Psalms, like Psalm 69, where David cries out to the Lord to answer him according to his abundant mercy. To the prophets, where God rebuked his people but promised to rescue them and restore them out of his great mercy. Our God is and always has been a merciful and gracious God. Although we're all rebels against him, although we deserve his righteous judgment for our sin... In his great mercy, he sent his own son to suffer and die for us, for, to pay for our sin, to restore us to himself, to give us forgiveness and mercy and grace to all who trust in Jesus. This is our God, a God of mercy. And Paul says he's the God of all comfort. Now, we have to be careful with this word. To be honest, when I hear the word comfort, I think the first thing I think of is my nice warm bed first thing in the morning, especially right now. You know when it's so soft and cosy and, and you've got that little warm patch and all the rest of the world just seems so cold and uninviting. I'd rather just stay in bed where things are warm and soft and easy. But that's not the comfort Paul's talking about. Put that out of your mind. God's comfort doesn't mean that our lives will be comfortable. This is the kind of comfort that's to give strength and hope and encouragement to keep going even when things are hard. This is more like the comfort that you give to a friend who is suffering 
You put your arm around them. I know this sucks. I'm here with you. I'm praying for you. And you just be with them to encourage them and help them keep going. It's like the comfort that I would give one of my kids if they fell over during the cross country. Give them a hug, dust them off. It's okay, you're not hurt. You'll be all right. I'm right here with you. Keep going. You can do it. Finish the race. This is our God. A God who comforts and encourages his people. He's not a God who is distant. We have a God who cares about us. Who is with us in our suffering. And through his spirit and his people, he works to encourage us. I'm with you. It's okay. Keep going. Seinfeld, George believes in a God who would never let anything good happen to him. A God who sabotages his success, who wants him to fail. But that's not our God. Our God is a good God who provides grace and peace for his people in Jesus. A God of mercy, a loving father who comforts his people. A God worth praising. That's the first thing we need to remember in suffering. Even in the midst of hardship is God's goodness. Paul also wants us to experience God's comfort. Paul has experienced this for himself. And he wants the Corinthians to experience it too. See it there in verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. God comforts his people in all their affliction so that they can share that comfort with others who are suffering. Paul knew this comfort firsthand. He was no stranger to suffering. He knew it inside and out. We'll read the list later in 2 Corinthians. He's experienced beatings and stonings and shipwrecks and mocking. He's been ostracized and cut off from his community. He's had broken relationships. He's burdened with anxiety for the churches. He's struggled with his health. Paul has seen it all. Paul says this is sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings. See, following Jesus is always costly. When we trust in Jesus, we're joined with him. We share in all that is his. That means he takes a penalty for our sin and we get to share in all of his blessings. We get eternal life and grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're adopted as sons and daughters of God our Father, etc. But identifying with Jesus and being joined with Jesus will also mean sharing in his sufferings. That's part of what taking up our cross and following him will mean. This isn't sharing in Jesus' suffering to pay for sin. That's been dealt with at the cross. It's finished. But this is sharing in suffering as those who belong to Jesus and who will be treated like Jesus. He was reviled and beaten and mocked and killed. Why should we who follow him expect better treatment? If we're joined with Jesus, if we publicly declare that we belong to him, then we should expect to face the same. Now, here in Australia, in years gone past... 
It's been socially acceptable, even expected to be a part of a church, to be known as a Christian. Most people grew up going to Sunday school at one time. It was the dumb thing. But as we look back over history, as we look around the world, that's actually not the norm. The norm is that those who follow Jesus suffer. They suffer rejection and mocking and scorn. They may even suffer torture and death. We need to be realistic about this. We have no promise that following Jesus will be easy. It's costly. It will mean taking up your cross. It will mean sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Even here in Australia, it may become more and more costly for us to follow Jesus in the years ahead. Let's not be surprised by that. But it'll be worth it. And God will comfort his people in their suffering. See, Paul has experienced that. Not only has he shared abundantly in Christ's sufferings, he's shared abundantly in comfort too. He's known God's presence and care and encouragement. He's been strengthened by the Holy Spirit to continue when things have been hard. He's been encouraged and cared for by other believers around him. God has given Paul abundant comfort in his suffering. Now, if you've never suffered, really, you may not have experienced this comfort for yourself. But it is true. In the midst of our brokenness and our suffering, God comforts his people. He encourages us. He gives us all we need to persevere and keep following him. It doesn't make things easy, but God will work in us so that we can continue. Now, often we can't imagine this comfort ahead of time. But God does provide it when you need it. And that's what God does because he is the God of all comfort. But this encouragement, it is not just for our own sake. It's so that we can encourage each other. Did you see that there in verse 4? This comfort is so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That was how it was meant to work between Paul and the Corinthians. See it there in verse 6. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul's not worried about whether the Corinthians are going to keep going under their suffering. He's confident that even as they share in the same sufferings as Christ, as they face mockery and scorn, as they're ostracized from their community for refusing to take part in idol worship, amidst all of this, they will share in comfort from God with Paul. See the closeness of Paul's partnership with them. He's sharing with them the encouragement that he's received from God. In the midst of Paul's suffering, the Corinthians are on his mind. And he's thinking about how his suffering might lead to their encouragement and perseverance. It's win-win for them. 
If he suffers, they're comforted. If he's comforted, he shares that comfort with them. As God's people, we can depend on encouragement and comfort from God in the midst of our suffering. But it's not for us to hoard to ourselves. It's for us to share with others. So I want to say to you, don't hide your suffering. Don't hide the ways that God is working in your life, even when it's costly and painful. God's encouragement to you is something that is meant to be shared with others. This is the the comfort of talking to another believer who has also struggled with depression and knows what you're going through. This is being able to talk with another couple about the pain of miscarriage and hear about God's faithfulness to them in their time of grief. This is knowing that others have faced the same sicknesses before you and are there with you knowing what it's like. This is sharing together the struggles of strained relationships with family, but pointing each other to the hope we have in Jesus. This is sharing with each other the war stories about our workplace struggles, but knowing others have been there too and know what it's like. This encouragement and comfort that we have received from God in all our suffering is something that's meant to be shared. Because God is working in us and through us to encourage and comfort each other. And maybe you're in a place where you're really struggling at the moment. Maybe abundant suffering is all that you can see. Maybe it threatens to overwhelm you. I want to say cry out for God's comfort, but also reach out to those around you. Be honest with someone. Reach out and tell them that you're not okay, that you need to talk. Unless you say something, others might not know. But God can work through them to comfort and encourage you in your suffering. Maybe you're actually in a place where things are going quite well for you at the moment. Maybe you're not suffering right now. I want to say that's good. Use the comfort and encouragement that you have received from God in the past to encourage others. That definitely doesn't mean belting someone over the head with platitudes and cliches. But it does mean being present. It means listening carefully to each other. It means weeping with those who weep and gently and graciously pointing one another to the unshakable hope that we have in Jesus. But it has to start with us being genuine and real with each other. Not painting a glossy, photoshopped picture of our lives, but really sharing together in our sufferings and in our comfort. That's actually what Paul does next. He See, finally, he wants us to learn to depend on God. Paul just lays out what he's been talking about and he puts it straight into practice. He shares with the Corinthians an example of his own suffering and God's comfort in that suffering. And notice how he just lays it out there. It's not a photoshopped, glossy portrait. This particular suffering was intense. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. 
For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, we don't know for sure what particular suffering Paul was talking about here. It's possible he's talking about the riots which were stirred up against him and the Christians in Ephesus in Acts 19. A great riot that threw the whole city into an uproar and where they seized Paul's fellow workers and dragged them into the theatre because of the preaching of the gospel had ruined the trade of items. If they'd found Paul, his life would have been forfeit. No wonder he felt like he was under a sentence of death. But whatever this suffering was, it was so severe that Paul despaired even of life itself. But he sees God's encouragement and comfort in the midst of this. He sees that God had a purpose in his suffering. It was so that they would not rely on themselves, but rely on God who raises the dead. That's what suffering does, right? It shows us our weakness. It shows us we actually aren't in control, that we can't rely on ourselves. We need to rely on God, not us. Now, I actually think the COVID pandemic was an opportunity for us to see this. For all our medical technology, for all our hospitals, for all our advancements, our world was brought to a halt by a pandemic. Just as it has been in years gone by, and just as it will be in the years ahead. We aren't in control. As much as we like to think, with all our technology and advancements, that we have power over the world, we don't. And we don't even have control over our own lives. We can't choose when we get sick or stay well. We can't control our relationships. We can't control whether we will be here tomorrow or not. We can't rely on ourselves. See, suffering isn't wasted. God graciously uses it. Suffering shows us the reality behind the illusion of control that we have. It shows us that the hazard of relying on ourselves. Like that first song we sang, it shows us that all other ground is sinking sand. It shows us that we can only rely on God. He is the reliable one. The one who created the heavens and the earth, who rules over all things. The God who sent his own son for us and raised him from the dead. God has even conquered death itself. And in Jesus, he has promised us eternal life. Hope for the future, a glorious resurrection when we will be raised in glory to live with him forever. He is reliable. Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee. Paul's seen it for himself. Verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God rescued, delivered Paul from this deadly peril. It's as if Paul has been raised from the dead, rescued from this certain death that he spoke about. Paul knows that God will deliver him again in the future. And ultimately, God will deliver him on that glorious day when Jesus returns. 
when all the dead will be raised and God will set all things right forever. That's Paul's hope and that's our hope too. Even as we face suffering and trouble in this life, we have that sure and certain hope of eternal life with the living God. And so we can depend on God, rely on our God who raises the dead. And we can express that dependence in prayer. And that's Paul's call to the Corinthians, that they would rely on God by helping Paul in prayer. Verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul wants the Corinthians to partner with him, to pray for God's comfort and provision and help for Paul so that many will give thanks to God for the blessing, comfort and grace that God gives Paul in his suffering. And that's where our dependence starts too. Coming to God and asking for his help praying for ourselves and for others so that many would give thanks to God for his goodness. Which means, again, we will need to share with one another, to share with each other our needs and our prayers and requests. But as we do so, we can learn amidst it all to depend on our God together. George, he was way off. <laughs> He thought God wanted to sabotage him. But our God is the God of all mercies, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. The God who gives grace and peace to his people, who comforts us in our suffering and who grows us to depend on him. We can depend on our good God to comfort us in our suffering and to use us to comfort others. So how do we respond to God in our suffering? Let's see his goodness together. Let's experience and share his comfort. Let's learn to depend on him together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You're a God who knows our needs, who cares for us in our suffering and who provides for us comfort and encouragement. For those of us who are suffering this time, we do ask your encouragement and comfort and strength for them. For those who are doing well, we ask that you would help us to speak to one another the comfort and encouragement that we have received from you. And for all of us, we pray you would help us to live genuinely with each other and to know that encouragement and comfort that comes as we speak that encouragement to one another and point each other to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the hope we have in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.